Hello everyone, this is Devika speaking to you from the steel city Hamilton in Ontario. Welcome to our interview series on 5 Steps Ahead. Today we have a special guest with us from the public healthcare space, Dr. Laurie Hicks, Director of the Antibiotic Stewardship Program from the Centre of Disease Control. Dr. Hicks, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you for having me. Excellent. Um, so, Dr. Hicks, I had the privilege of knowing about you from a very close friend of mine, uh, Joya Das, and it got me intrigued about the entire healthcare space. Um, having also been in the life sciences industry and thinking about the healthcare, usually I think about individual patients. But we talk about, but you talk about the field of public health moving from tackling individual patients to whole populations. So, for the benefit of our young audience, could you tell us a little bit about what public health entails and how you got into antibiotic stewardship? Sure. So I actually didn't know very much at all about public health uh, until I was a student um, in medical school. And then actually I learned quite a bit more about it and the opportunities when I was doing my internal medicine training uh, in residency. and. When I, one thing I would say about public health, it's it's definitely very different um, from taking care of individual patients. Although I would say that a lot of the training that is required to uh, have a, a successful career in public health um, can be the same. So, for example, a lot of physicians or nurses or physician assistants or nurse practitioners go into public health. and there are a number of components to public health that make it pretty unique, although some of these things are also done in healthcare facilities. So what we try to do is tr understand and track disease burden, and that's called surveying attention and efforts. I also worked for years in outbreak investigation, so these are the kinds of things that most people probably associate with public health, which are the, the very scary kind of situations where there's um, more disease than expected, which is kind of the definition of an outbreak. And as a result of that, we have to sort out why there is an outbreak and try to stop the outbreak. And then the other piece of work I would say that is very common and part of um, most public health activities is prevention, identifying the opportunities to prevent disease from happening in the first place and prevent outbreaks from happening in the first place. Uh, some of that can be in the form of research, depending upon what type of public health environment you work in. And then lastly, I would say public health is um, extremely important for um, communication purposes. And we need to be able to communicate both to the general public as well as to healthcare professionals about what are the important threats, what do they need to be doing to protect themselves and to protect their patients. And so communication, both in written and I would say in oral form, is extremely important. And I would say that more and more we're using social media nowadays to communicate with our intended audiences. Now, I think it's a pretty long story as to how I got to um, this point and working on antibiotic stewardship. I started out uh, in medical school. I'm an osteopathic physician, and um, I don't want to say what, when that was because it'll date me, but it's been quite a few years. 
decided to go ahead to an internal medicine residency. After that, I, I went and, and I came to CDC in Atlanta, and I did a two-year training uh, program called the Epidemic Intelligence Service. Um, it was a really exciting time, and it allowed me to really understand what CDC does. After that, I really decided I still wanted to do a little bit more clinical work and see patients a bit more, and so I went back and did an infectious diseases fellowship at Brown University. And it was during those two years that I really found my love for, um, I, I would say my passion was really that I, I felt like there was this big problem that we weren't really um, addressing yet, or at least not addressing in the way that I thought we should, uh, this problem of antibiotic resistance, meaning that more and more patients are developing infections for which antibiotics are not effective. And we know that the more we use antibiotics, the more we lose them. And so um, antibiotic stewardship is really the effort to measure how we're using antibiotics and improve how we use them so that we can both protect patients as well as make sure that they're available and work for us when we really need them. So that's how I got interested in antibiotic stewardship and then I had the opportunity to come back to CDC and that was actually many years ago now as well. And um, I started out doing outbreak investigations but there was an opportunity to start working on a program which at the time was called Get Smart New and Antibiotics Work. And that's when I stepped into the role of leading antibiotic stewardship activities for the agency. So, Dr. Hicks, from your account, you spoke about three important components, education, keeping surveillance about what's happening, um, incoming outbreaks or preventing it from happening, and also mitigation strategies. So what was your one personal turning point that got you saying, like, hey, I want to be in this field and I want to do more and explore this a little more? A personal story, perhaps? Yeah, so I was in my training in, in internal medicine residency, and I knew I really enjoyed um, the, and I have to say my, my area in public health focuses on infectious diseases, and I knew that was an area that I was very interested in. And it turned out that I had a few mentors who um, were previous who had previously done this training program that I did back um, years ago now at CDC called the Epidemic Intelligence Service, or EIS. In fact, um, Dr. Garibaldi, who was the chairman of medicine at the time um, at the University of Connecticut, where I did my residency, sat down with me and said, you know, you ought to think about this opportunity. And at the time, I knew so little about what public health really was. And I have to say, I probably didn't really understand it until I actually came to CDC and did the work um, in, in real time. But he, he recognized um, that unique interest in me, that I may be interested in, in more of the population health. Um, and I think he identified that because I, you know, there was kind of, um, when I sat down and talked to him about what I wanted to do with my life, he, he guided me in that direction. So that is one example of how having mentors who can really listen to you and understand what your interests are may help you find your true passion. 
And I, I had other great mentors along the way who really helped to encourage me along this path. Um, I had another physician, his name is Dr. Nat Ross. He's still a practicing HIV infectious disease physician um, at Hartford Hospital at the University of Connecticut. And, and as part of the um, training program I did when I was there for my residency. And he said to me, he's like, the one thing I regret, Laurie, is that I did not go and do it, it, uh, training program, this training program at CDC. He's like, if you have the opportunity, you should really think about it because it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting career path. And uh, it doesn't mean that you can't come back and do clinical medicine or see patients, but it may give you an interesting perspective on population health. So that's kind of how I got to know about it. And then I started reaching it more online and there was this website and I just, as soon as I read the website, it was one of these aha moments. I was like, oh, that's what I want to do next. That's it. And um, it really combined kind of my interest in both infectious diseases, I would have the opportunity to continue working in infectious diseases, but also learn about epidemiology, which is basically the study of populations um, health. I started taking classes in um, public health while I was at University of Connecticut. And again, um, there I, I met even more uh, people who were helpful in kind of helping me choose my path, um, including Dr. Matt Carter, who I took an outbreak investigations class from. And I was like, this is so exciting. It's just really interesting and um, was so different from what I was doing with patient care. I really wanted to learn more about it. So that's, that's how it all began. I really like how your... Um your mentors or the people who you looked up to explained, like, why not choose this career path? It might give you an important perspective. You can always come back, but why not give it a shot? Exactly. And so I think one of the interesting challenges with um, choosing this career path is I think a lot of people just don't even know what it is. And I certainly was one of those people. And just by um, good fortune and great mentorship, that's, that's exactly why I ended up coming down this path, was I had people who were guiding me um, along my path and thought this might be a great opportunity. Uh, Dr. Hicks, when I mentioned uh, to a couple of my friends back at school here in Canada, uh, they had a couple of questions for you. They said that, hey, I am in academia, Dr. Hicks is in the government sector, but she moved from having an education from a university to over there. So what is her perspective taking into both those lives, and how do you uh, have a balance? And why would you choose the government organization? Yes. Uh, so I, I think there, to be honest, I, there was a point in time where I wasn't exactly certain that um, I wanted to, to work for the government versus academia. Um, I did consider staying in a position at Brown University where I did my infectious diseases training. And I had um, also looked at potentially staying um, in a more local public health environment. So I would say that obviously working for the government is quite different than working in an academic institution or in the private sector. Um, a lot of physicians are self-employed so or work in in practices group practices where they're um, self-employed or their owners of their own practices 
business. And certainly, um, that's a very different experience. My husband is a private practice physician, and you know he has a lot of say in terms of how their practice moves forward and what are the what are the decisions and investments they're going to make and what are they going to focus on for the future. Um, my work is very much for the American people, and <laughs> it's really my my thought is that, you know, my job, every day I come to work, I'm working, my my role is to protect the American people. So, um, and that doesn't mean that, you know, that physicians working in private sector and um, academia aren't trying to do the same thing, but it's truly my job, it's part of my job description in my head. (laughs) And uh, it's a bit different in that I would say um, that certainly the the, our direct, the direction for um, what we have to consider priorities comes from above. It comes from our government. Um, the funding is approved by our Congress. So if our Congress decides that something we're working on is not a priority, then we have to be adaptable and have to change um, you know, the work that we're doing and be willing to focus on something different. So we are a bit at the whim of the, I would say, the um, Congress and the and and we are the, at the whim of our government officials who are making decisions about what they think should be the priorities for our work. Ha- having said that, um, I think you know we are also in a position to make a case for why we need to do work in a certain area and. Um, it's part of part of our role is to communicate effectively to both our um, government leadership as well as the American public about the importance of the work we're doing, so that they can understand why they would put resources toward this kind of work. It's it's a very different um, relationship, and in an academic institution, you may be able to decide um, on your own, you know, what kind of research am I going to do? Um, One of the challenges in academia is that you have to identify the funding to support your research. That means applying for grants. Um, Here, that's not exactly the same thing. We have um, resources resources that are coming from the government um, to support our work. That doesn't mean that we, we still don't have to identify how to support the work, but it's a bit different. I would say that I, um, I'm glad that I don't have to apply for grants and funding all the time as part of an academic institution type of job. So despite you saying that you cater to only one country, um, you the CDC has far-reaching arms. And some of the projects that you have worked on, especially one of the reports that I had read about where you helped uh, organize a pilot study for providing targeted educations to physicians in Egypt, and you also worked with the World Health Organization. So taking that all into perspective, the work is global, or it tends to be from one way or the other. Um, yes. So what? taking that into account, uh, could you give us an idea of what is your typical work day on the field like from a personal account when you have done the job on the field? Yeah, so I, I th- you make a very important point. And I did say my role is to protect the American people, but I think what we what we know about public health is that um, diseases don't know boundaries, especially infectious diseases. And so um, 
other countries and trying to improve their health. You know, we also tend to also improve our health here in the U.S. And, and that's not the only reason why we do it. I mean, I think we, as an organization and an agency, we realize the, there's a lot of importance in, in identifying opportunities to um, support public health initiatives in developing countries where, you know, food and water sanitation may be a big challenge. And, um, you know, we are very fortunate here to not often not really have those kinds of challenges. And we, we often um, have resources and expertise that we can use to support um, those efforts in other countries. So, yes, I would say that we are definitely an agency that um, contributes to improving public health globally, and um, it, it's, it's definitely very important uh, work that we're, that we're doing to improve the health of the, of the populations globally, but also within the U.S. Um, my typical day is very different than when I was taking care of patients. Um, I would say when I was taking care of patients, I was running from one patient room to another. Um, I might be in the hospital for part of the day, and then I might be in a clinic for the rest of the day in the afternoon. And I was just running from one room to the next and trying to um, uh, be as efficient as possible, but also spend enough time with my patients in order to really understand um, and support and improve their health. But the, the, the uh, public health world is very varied. I would say that there are people who are doing what I consider shoe leather epidemiology, which is they're out in the field and they're actually um, interacting with the populations that they serve. And I have had opportunities to work in that area um, as an EIS officer during, during those two years. I did outbreak investigations and would travel to the field to actually um, support the local health department staff to respond to outbreak investigations. And that would include going to the site of the outbreak, um, collecting information. It's like being a bit of a detective in terms of collecting both um, information about why the outbreak might have occurred and then collecting data from individuals who were affected by the outbreak. Um, so that that is, um, you're, you're in the field, you're on your feet some of the time, but most of the time you're actually using um, your epidemiologic skills on a computer to try to crunch the numbers to understand, you know, why did this outbreak happen and um, what, what were the exposures that led to the um, outbreak. So that could be very, um, you know, exciting, can be stressful too, because you really want to move as quickly as possible to find the solution to the problem. Uh, there are a number of types of um, public health interventions and activities that involve going to the field and, you know, maybe it's vaccination programs to make sure that patients um, and, and the population are getting needed vac vaccines in a timely manner. Um, there's also, and I would say what I do now, um, and just to be very realistic, is that um, in my role now, I spend most of my time either in meetings or at a computer. So it's a very different type and style of work than what I was accustomed to as a physician um, when I was seeing patients. So I, I would say meetings, conferences, um, Research, spending time at my computer. A lot of times, I'm um, 
I, I get about 300 emails a day <laughs> about various questions related to the work I do. So um, I have to have to try to respond to those in as timely manner as possible. So yeah, that that takes some time. So what would your advice be? Um, so I come from India with a population of 1.32 billion, and and I have some friends who are in Africa where also the public health care burden is very high. So what would your advice be to a young girl or boy who is thinking about, like, if I want to get into public health care space, what could they do? do you, can you suggest any advice or any plan or a cheat card, maybe you could say? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I think... I think one of the most important things is just um, to follow your passion, and if it turns out that public health is your passion, um, and there are a number of different kinds of skills that are useful for public health. So I would say if you're specifically interested in epidemiology, um, having good skills um, in math and statistics, <laughs> that's really important. So if you're thinking about, oh, okay, public health may be a career that I would want to consider, um, and I really like the idea of doing these investigations or doing surveillance for disease, then having good math and, and statistics uh, training and um, education would be very important. So those are the kinds of things you would be want to be thinking about if you're going off to college. Um, many students get a master's in public health, um, and I would say most people at CDC who work on public health either have a master's in public health or some other master's degree or a doctoral level degree um, in epidemiology, or they've come through the clinical route or physician's route, which is what I did. So there are a lot of different ways you can get into public health. Um, if you're more interested in the communications aspect of public health and less interested in being uh, a, a math nerd, um, then you may be, um, maybe you, you go down the communications route. Some people um, spend, you know, their time training for um, public health communications uh, or uh, so that, that's another path that can be taken in your education, whether it's in college or um, in when you're getting an, a master's degree, is to study communications and focus on um, health communications. A lot of the people who work here are, are people who've done health communications or have backgrounds in health communications. So there are a number of different pathways um, into CDC and into public health. When I did my epidemic intelligence service training back in the early 2000s, there were a number of uh, veterinarians in my class as well. Um, I know that there have been a few lawyers, um, nurses with advanced degrees, and other people who have um, doctoral level degrees, uh, whether it's in epidemiology or biostatistics. So there are, I would say that there's no one path to this career. There are many different ways to get here. Um, and I would, I think the other advice is to check it out. Um, if you have an opportunity to do an internship or shadow someone who works in public health, 
that may be helpful to understand what their day is like um, because it isn't all about being out in the field and chasing down the diseases like you would see in the movies. Um, some of it can be that exciting, but I would say there's a lot more time spent at a desk or in meetings most of the time than um, chasing down diseases in a, in a uh, outbreak situation. Thank you, Dr. Hicks. Well, uh, listeners, as you have very well heard, there are a multitude of ways to get into the public healthcare space, being looking at veterinarians, nurses, math nerds, communication experts. All you have to do is explore your opportunities. So definitely check out our interview with Dr. Laurie Hicks from the Center of Disease Control. And thank you very much for agreeing to being with us and taking the time to talk to us today, Dr. Hicks. Oh, you're welcome. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks again. Definitely check us out at www.careersinfinite.com or tune into your favorite podcast app for Five Steps Ahead to listen to this interview with Dr. Laurie Hicks from the Center of Disease Control. Thank you all for listening and have a fabulous day.